Hello and welcome to WNHH Radio's Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. Dita Bargava is hoping to make New Haven and Connecticut tick. She's running for governor in 2018 as a Democrat. In a year when Democrats with names you might recognize more decided not to run because they feared that Connecticut is turning red, or at least purple. Nita Bargava is here in the WNHH studio to tell us why she can keep Connecticut blue. Welcome to the studio, Dita. It's very nice to oh. see you. I'm going to ask you to get that uh, microphone really close to you, and I'm going to do a special thanks to Yale Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. Yeah, that's our intro music. I notice you enjoy it, too. We play it every day. It's from a local group, the Afro-Semitic Experience. They've been around 20 years, and they get... Um, they have black and Jewish musicians, jazz-oriented, who take Negro spirituals and Jewish liturgical music and update them. And this is Eliyahu Navi, just for the listeners. It's my, they're Fantastic. my favorite band around. I'm going to go check them out. <laughs> and then you're a drummer, right? I was a drummer and a jazz drummer, actually, which is why I'm especially enjoying this music. <laughs> you know, jazz drama is interesting because a lot of times I think a drummer, especially because you started as a teenager, right? I did. Yes, actually, I started, yeah, I was about 11 years old. So I know for some kids, when they're drummers, that's a way to get out all their angst, just pound the junk out of the <laughs> drums and play some heavy metal. Drum, <laughs> jazz is a lot more sophisticated because I think part of what's at the root of jazz are these complicated chord and time signatures. Right? You're kind of doing like seven, eight, and three, right. not four, and all that kind of stuff mixed yeah. in together. Is that true? I mean, like, so it's a more refined drumming. It is. And, and I think music in general uh, very much plays with, with mathematical ability. No question. You know, I, I did end up studying electrical engineering uh, uh, and computer engineering, and, and math was one of my favorite subjects. So I think, I think there's, there's definitely um, a symbiotic relationship there. <laughs> I do. I always felt there was a keen difference between, I mean, relationship between math and um and music and when you're trying to learn a piece often if i were like jogging or something i would try to time the steps to try to keep in where the chord changes go and i guess with drumming that's even more so yeah yeah and it's 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 pattern you know pattern recognition and 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 eighth notes and you know there's a lot of calculations that go on in music so i think and yet you need to kind of harness that to fly free right you need that inspiration with music you can't just pound it out like a mathematical formula you have to know the math or yeah. the chord changes like right. charlie parker flying through before he flew wild through all these great solos he had mastered scales yes which are also mathematical right and and there's a lot of creativity in math as well so how did you feel as an 11 year old what did it do for you was it a way to just channel your teenage angst was it a way to take your math abilities and go someplace different or just a way to have fun as a kid? I, I think it was uh, all of the above, but I always had an interest in music. Um, I started off by playing the uh, clarinet and um, always kind of watched the drummer and, and had this you know affinity towards beat and rhythm. Um, and then somebody told me, girls don't play the drums. That <laughs> and that was video. it for me. And I was like, well, I think a girl would look pretty cool behind a drum set, you know. And there I was. Um, but why jazz drums? Why a girl jazz? You know, I um, I started off in in concert band, and and there was a jazz band in in the high school that I went to, and and there was just a certain something special about jazz music. I think the things that you mentioned, just um, uh, a sophistication about it that really um attracted me so it was it was kind of jazz and concert it was a, co- a combination mm-hmm. um i wasn't so into you know the really rock rock and roll drumming 
Um, so, you know, and I just, I found myself in a band, which I really enjoyed. All right. Now to, to, to take overdue metaphors for a minute that what we were just talking about ties into what I can pick up from reading about you and watching your video while you're running for governor. Part of the pitch you're making is that you watch your own drummer. You, when they say women can't do stuff, you think women can, and that New Haven needs, I mean, Connecticut needs a new beat if they're going to like be able to run the state. How's right. that for overdoing a metaphor and summing up the <laughs> I like that metaphor. I'm use it. Uh, <laughs> campaign. So you're, you're running for governor, for the Democratic nomination. You have I'm exploring. You're exploring. Now, exploring means you can raise money, but what can't you do when you're an exploratory? Well, um, it means you can, yes, you can raise money at a higher level. Uh, you can take contributions at a higher level. Uh, it, it also means that, you know, you're exploring, which means you could end up not running or you could run for another office. But I'm, I'm very much exploring a run for governor. Um, mm. and, and, you know, the reasons being because I think what Connecticut needs right now is new vision and change. And um, I really do think the vision that I have, um, it, it will be best executed from from a higher level of government. And what's the reason you're not yet announcing a formal campaign? Now, for instance, you can't raise money for public financing matches yet until you're a formal candidate, correct? Um, so the way it works in Connecticut is that it, you any candidate who wants to qualify for public financing has to raise $250,000. In, in smaller in, increments. In $5 to $100 increments. 90% of it has to come from the state of Connecticut. And uh, once you do that... Um, then the state will will finance the campaign. For Are you the looking rest to of... run clean? You looking for clean money? You looking to do public finance? Yes, I am. Yes. So now, how does that affect when you're in the exploratory phase? Can you take bigger contributions while you you're can. in the exploratory? So how does that work toward translating that to money for a general election campaign? So any money that you raise between the five dollar and hundred dollar level can we'll actually count can yes you can count it towards that two hundred fifty thousand. so was one reason to here's a cynical question is one reason to wait before you formally announce so that you can get people of deeper pockets to give you more money which that money you won't be able to take once you're formally announced i think there's a number of reasons uh certainly it, it helps you get your campaign up and running but really what you're exploring is is the amount of support you're getting um are your ideas resonating um is it really something that that you feel that you will be best at those are kind of what we're looking at um, mm -hmm. in, in this exploratory phase. But but everything that's been indicated to me on all of those uh, um, issue or targets has been positive. So um, I am I am very passionate about what I'm doing and, and what I think. So what is that needs. message that you say starting to resonate? The way from afar, I'll tell you what it looks like to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm uninformed, and tell me if I'm picking up the vibe right. Um, this is a year when it kind of sometimes helps to say you're an outsider, you haven't been part of the problem in government. Of course, the flip side of that has never been in government, so what do you know? But you're know you have, you you're arguing you bring a lot of skill sets as an outsider. You've been on Wall Street, you've been a woman who break barriers, you've been involved in the Democratic Party as a, as a um, I guess, vice chair of the state party, so that you've had some familiar politics, you've had a lot of familiar with running things, breaking barriers, finances, and that, and and overcoming gender barriers that you feel you might be uniquely positioned to give the Democrats in a time when the public is turned against them because of the state of the budget, a fresh face, a fresh vision that ties into a political moment when we want to see women advance in politics, but also challenge some of the ways of doing business, including the Democratic Party's relationship with labor. Did I just give a summary of your pitch? Do you want to come work for me? <laughs> no, I do not. I don't work for any candidate. But, okay. Well, that. But is that an accurate? That's a pitch? good summary. That's that's a very good summary. Look, I I think whether you talk to Democrats or Republicans across the state, and and certainly the ones that I've been talking to, um, 
recently, you know, first as as my position as vice chair of the Democratic Party. Um, but but now as as I'm meeting folks, as I'm doing a listening tour, people are very concerned about our future. You know, they're disheartened. And um, and I think almost everyone in this state will agree that the status quo has not been working. And we have had one politician after another over many, many years. You know, this is not just our recent governor. He was handed a very complicated set of issues that have been building over really decades, you know, and he's actually the first Democratic governor, I think, in 25 years. So um, it, it's been leadership uh, on, on both sides. So you went from 1990 to 2010, so that'd be 20 years. Uh, 20 years, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, it's been leadership on both sides, I think, th- that have have just not gotten the math right, not the focus right. I think it's... it's the math is really interesting because... Malloy expended a lot of per, uh, political capital in his first term to get business to support him to raise taxes and labor to support him to give concessions, which were claimed to be worth a billion at the time, but really less. But it was only the one place in the country at that time where labor and business united on that kind of plan. And yet, when we thought we had done that heavy lift, we had a bigger deficit than ever, and that happened again. We just passed a new budget that involved a lot of pain, compromises on both sides. And within days... There was a huge deficit in it already. We were already at over two hundred million. We have to go back and fix it. Right. So the math isn't getting right. So is this right. jazz drummer who made you in engineering? You're saying you can do math. <laughs> I think it, math is and, hard. And, and also, you know, working in the financial <laughs> sector, uh, you know, that's and and that's why, you know, to your question, I don't have government experience. I think, um, you know, all the folks who had government experience have not um, proven that that they can get the math right. And and it's not just about the math, Paul. I think. You know, what I bring to the table is the ability to forge relationships. So in my 20 plus year career, um, I I, I developed a lot of relationships. I I had a huge uh, portfolio of clients that consisted of of pension fund managers, um, insurance companies, uh, corporates, central foreign central banks. And what I did best was to bring people to the table to find optimal solutions where everybody felt represented. Um, and, and I think those relationships have to be very, very strong from the governor's office. Governors should have strong relationships with the unions, um, with labor, with the legislature, with private sector, with universities, um, and, and bring everybody to the table. Look, every one of those organizations has a lot at stake with the future of Connecticut. We're at a pivotal moment. And I think, you know, I believe in Connecticut, and I think we have so many great assets. You know, we have great geography. We have great educational institutions. We have a, a very educated workforce. Um, so we have all the tools that we need here. But we need to bring everyone together and come up with a vision that, that everyone feels hope. Because a lot of this is also, at least a, a some of it, is perception. You know, and perception becomes reality. If we can change the perception of the future of Connecticut with a good plan and vision, I really do think that, that we can steer the ship in a much uh, more positive direction. All right, we're talking about that vision on Dateline New Haven and WNHH-FM, your home for community radio at 103.5 FM, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. Dita Bargava, exploring a run for governor as a Democrat, is our <laughs> guest today, and it's nice to have you in the studio. So now you talked about building relationships with different um, groups. So you talked about labor, you talked about business. Da- Daniel Malloy, you can, one can argue, did have those relationships. He had a strong labor relationship, but he also had been the mayor of Stanford, which is sort of a corporate mecca. Your background is very much on the financial side. You live in Fairfield County. You worked for a hedge fund. You were a trader. You 
that is one group, and you do not have strong ties to labor. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think it is forms you've appeared at so far. You're trying to say I'm not the one beholden to a special interest in that we might be need more long-range concessions from labor on pensions and, and um, health care, for instance. Does that put you on one side of the Democratic debate right now? Nationally, it's between the Hillary Clinton and the Bernie Sanders, Liz, Elizabeth Warren wing. There's a, they call it the resistance since Trump's elected where we want to have very left Democrats who will try to get more money from the top 1% or the 1% of the 1%, the hedge fund folks, the people in Fairfield County. And then you have the other side of, and they say to, to really excite the grassroots and win elections again, we have to stand strong for a pro-labor, tax-the-rich um, civil rights agenda. Then you have the other side, Democratic Party, that agrees with them, I would argue, on gender issues for the most part, agrees on civil rights for the most part, but disagrees on economics and says that in Connecticut we've, we've relied so much on taxing Fairfield County and the financial sector that that's why our estimates keep coming in so low and that it's we can't continue to raise revenues on the rich. The other side says, yes, we can. We can match other states. The other states have charged more, whether it's the state tax or tolls or or high income, you know, marginal tax rates above a half million to a million a year. And that fact, they don't lose people for that reason. We can invest more. The other side says we have to get that voter in the middle. We have 800,000 plus independents in Connecticut, more than any voting block. Is it fair to say you're in that other camp? I don't think that's fair because let me tell you, I am probably you know, and, and you may be shocked, but I don't think you will be. I'm probably the most progressive Democratic candidate out there. You know, um, if people look at my history, my work history, um, and and may think that that can't be true. I'm running as a pro-business progressive. My life story, you know, my mom was a single immigrant parent of, of three. Um, we struggled. You know, she struggled to provide us with with basic necessities. But we were very fortunate because she, she's a strong woman and she taught us three things every day of our life. One was to educate ourselves because only a good education would bring us economic liberty. Um, to always strive to reach our full potential and break barriers, you know, and that good education would, would empower us to do that. And and to and, and lastly and very importantly, never to forget where we came from in our in our humble roots. Now, I I was fortunate. Um, I actually came to the United States in 1995, but before that, um, I grew up in in a country in Canada where the two things that anybody needs to really fully empower themselves is a good education, access to education, despite what family you come from um, and where you live, and healthcare. You know, and those two things, which is a, a, a right. For every child, every person in our country, in our state, uh, were the two things that, despite the fact that my mom struggled to provide us with those basic necessities, I was able to strive to reach my full potential. And that's where I'm coming from. You know, the, re- the reason why the trigger for me to really uh, move into the political realm was paid family leave. Uh, I started a nonprofit that um, helped to empower those family Parity friendly partnership of Connecticut. Correct. Yeah. So um, I co-started that organization and, and the and the purpose of that was to promote family friendly policies in the workplace. I've done a lot of research on um, paid family leave and fam- family friendly policies that it's not just the right thing. It is absolutely the smart thing to do. And, and those organizations like CBA and other organizations that say it's a cost it is not a cost. Um, there was CBIA. CBIA. What did I say? Connecticut Business Industry Association. Yeah, C- CBIA. Um, that 
cost is is so much greater if we don't empower women and men to stay in the workforce, right? There was a study that was done uh, by the previous labor secretary, Tom Perez, uh, under Obama administration. It was called the cost of doing nothing. And he estimated that if the United States empowered their women to stay in the workforce at the same rate as Canada or Germany, that it would add $500 billion of economic activity mm. per year to I our country. I think I just read that since 2010, the percentage of women in the workforce has not grown, which is pretty remarkable. And it's not surprising. And they said the basic reason is, is childcare. Right. And that's interesting to me because I was fortunate I had an employer who let me work halftime when we had our children and we were able to, you know, be at home. And that was good for the company, good for me, good for my wife. And, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think women often hold the economic key to the home, right? They're, they're the caretakers. They spend. Um, retail is big for women. We should empower them to add to the economy. So what specifically Connecticut should be doing on family leave that's not doing? We don't have a paid family leave bill. And and then that's what I went to Hartford to, to advocate for. We have unpaid, right? You have to give unpaid. Well, we have medical leave, right? Um, and, you know. So you have to save up all your medical days and hope to get three weeks. That's right. But, yeah. you know, when you have a child or you have a sick parent or you have a sick spouse, it, it, it doesn't cut it, right? And you're often making that choice between your job and, and staying at home. That, that choice um, should so not. So what, what, what should be the paid family leave provision that you would have? That every employer has to give of any size, over 50 employees has to give what? At least six weeks, but I would like a 12-week paid family leave. For everybody or employers over 50? No, everybody. Everyone should have access. And listen, this is not a cost on businesses because the way it works is it's a small tax on employees. So you're working already. So this is only if you're working. You pay a small tax like you would for um, Medicaid or Social Security. Um, and and so you know that's how the pool works. And if you, if you should require that because of child or because... So a payroll tax. Yes, exactly. It's it's a tax on your payroll. And the only thing so that, now you realize in this environment right now you will no longer be able to stand up and say I am against any new taxes. Well, this is this is a a small tax on only if you're working, right? Um, it, this is a tax that that I think is necessary. It like you are paying into Social Security or healthcare or any of those other sort of payroll related taxes that you do pay. So. Yes. In this case, if you want to call it a tax, that's fine, but it's it's only for employees. And um, what if you're an independent contractor with so many employees are becoming? I guess you're not gonna be covered by this a whole yeah, different issue. Right. You have that's a different issue. That's yeah. right. Um now, let's let's start I've with also the bulk read of the that you said that you're not for increasing revenues on trying to tax the wealthy anymore. because for instance there are the wing of the Democratic Party, very much um, not only Governor Loy, but even Martin Looney from New Haven, the state senate president who's quite liberal, believes you can't raise taxes any more marginal rates on the wealthy because we're just not going to bring in the revenue like you know because the tax the idea is to go to 7.5 percent on income over a million or half million a year but then the other side says they do charge that in new york and massachusetts so it's a false idea that that would make people leave the state that would really we need is money to invest better in infrastructure so that companies like ge and Aetna don't look and say we'll have a better infrastructure in new york or boston it is not a false idea we have data that shows look like we'll go back to the fact that I'm a mathematician, you know, so I'm a diehard progressive, you know, in terms of empowering people to stay in the workforce. I want to create a state where we have more people employed, um, specifically the working class and middle class families with well-paying jobs. And, and that's what my plan does is to expand our industry base, you know, and not just you know, industries that, that actually give back to communities. So how will you do that? Because don't you have to invest to do that? The right. argument is that you don't have to give them, uh, was it top five or whatever you called it, the, uh, 
the program where you pick five bigger companies to give a lot of money right. to stay here, whether right. or not they're planning to leave, but that you have to build up, whether it's the education system or transportation. But that right. costs money. Yes. So where are you going to get money yeah. to do that? So let me just finish my thought on, on the fact that, that we do have a revenue hole now. So the U.S. Census data has shown that, that the population has indeed declined over the last couple of years in Connecticut. But not New Haven. Which is really the only fun place in Connecticut. New Haven's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's all moved to New Haven, um, but we did see Alexion leave recently from New Haven. So, but that know, was weird know. because that was they they've had a lot of national problems, and we gave them a lot of money to come. We here did. And build their so it's not it's not but only it was, about money, but it's yeah. about also the infrastructure we need to it's, invest. Well, in. and that's exactly the, my next point. But j- just to finish that thought, um, in uh, the um, Office of Pol- Policy Management also put out uh, a study that showed that there is indeed a gap coming from the high income earners. And, you know, so that revenue gap is certainly related to not only businesses leaving, but Fairfield County and other folks who decide to spend 181 days plus one out of, you know, uh, uh, six months plus a day out of the state of Connecticut to, to save on their taxes. Now I'm all about progressive values and, and I want to preserve our progressive values I think the way to do it is through economic growth because I'm also a mathematician and those numbers have to add up. I do, we are at risk of alienating those who already live in our state. We want to keep them here. It's a great state and I'm sure a lot of them would want to stay here. I've talked to a lot of them. They want to stay here, right? So we want to make it, we want to preserve what we have. We want to grow the rest. Now, so here's my plan to how we expand our industry base and tax base. I've done a lot of roundtables with small and large businesses, and I've sat in on roundtables. I sat in on one uh, that was conducted at Yale University with GE executives and Governor Malloy and and some other heads of uh, businesses. And and what small and large businesses have told me one of their biggest challenges is the pipeline of talent. That you know the the biggest exodus out of, out of Connecticut is age twenty five to thirty five, and for their long term viability, they need to be able to rely on their business you know, their strongest asset, which is, which is workforce. Um, so one of the first things that I want to introduce is a public private partnership where a college graduate, if, if he or she commits to work and stay in Connecticut for five years, that their loan is forgiven mm. through that partnership. So, you know, government works with businesses and offers, um, incentives for businesses to then invest in their own workforce. And, um, so your that, college loan is forgiven if you stay five years and work here. Right. Exactly. So what if you stay three and change your mind? Well, then, then you get three years paid. Okay. <laughs> you respond. But I think if we can keep um, those graduates for five years, they will end up um, establishing roots and yeah. becoming a permanent taxpayer. And now we're growing, you know, we're solving. And how would you pay for that? So the businesses pay for it, right? So we would give incentives to businesses through tax credits and other incentives. They would actually pay off that loan. Um, and, and so it's an investment that they're making in their pipeline, but it solves their pipeline issue. It, it alleviates what is a big burden on our students. Um, and that money can otherwise be used for a down payment on a home or, you know, in, in our economy. So that's going to cost us if we're going to give them incentives. Well, the, the, it will not because if we are keeping those businesses here and we're also keeping the, we're making now permanent taxpayers and we're growing our tax base. The math is going to add up. I'm but all that's about the, the math. math the Republicans use for the tax deal, which is that even though it costs money to give somebody company a break or less taxes because it'll create more economic growth, that'll create more taxes to pay for it. Well, this this actually is a specific pipeline into college students. Look, I, I like I said before, 
the two things that I really believe that we should, that every person should have access to is education and healthcare. You know, so the fact that college graduates are graduating with these big fat loans is, is just not right. Right. But instead of saying free college for all, which we can't afford um, in our state at this point, it, we can't guarantee that after a free college degree that they're not going, they're not going to leave and go to another state and another state will benefit. Right. So to me, this is a good investment because we're investing in education and we're investing in our businesses who are investing, you know, in their pipeline. It, it, and these are the type of partnerships that, that I want to promote and, and believe in, you know, it's an ecosystem that um, we have. How to much provide. would that cost? Well, we're still studying out the, the cost of it. Um, but again, to me, you know, the math will be such that it will add up to a, a, a net benefit to the government so because this, we're creating this taxpayers. Into your broader idea that you can have progressive values, which is um, job creation, good paying jobs, younger people, co right. affordable college. Right. But not a traditional way Democrats have viewed it. You're saying we can't pay college for all. You can't, you got to have companies kind of brought in. And that the way government will give incentives, which means money or you know, money they don't have to pay to companies, but that they'll create a larger economic pie that'll pay for it. Why is that not, and again, this is not a criticism at all. Mm -hmm. Why is not embl that emblematic about one of the two sides in the current democratic debate? I don't because, think it's I mean, not. How, I, I, I mean, this really sounds to me like, and, and this is not a criticism even right, remotely, right. this sounds completely the Hillary Clinton campaign versus the Bernie Sanders campaign. And not that I'm saying it's better to be on one side or the other, but it sounds to me that in a primary season, 90% of the Democratic candidates are going to position themselves as the Bernie Can Sanders, Elizabeth Warren candidate. And then the general election try to sound like the Hillary Clinton candidate because <laughs> the conventional wisdom is that most, the vast majority of voters in the middle and want something that's progressive values, but more conservative economically. I want to pin you down on this because I really, when I'm listening but to But I have introduced this ideas all across Connecticut, and it is well-received. There's not a single Democrat out there, you know, whether... So that's just arguing that you think it's a better message for Democrats to have, to have more of the Hillary Clinton platform. This is not a Hillary Clinton platform. Uh, I mean, I haven't asked Bernie Sanders if he would agree on this, no, but I can't... he thinks government should pay for... for um, college for all and that you shouldn't give the tax breaks to the corporations to hire people. Well, this is, this is, you know, indirectly the government helping those, those college graduates to have an alleviated loan program in Connecticut specifically. Our issue is preserving those college graduates here, right? So this is a creative way to ensure that they, that I'm not they at stay all here. criticizing the idea or saying it doesn't work. I'm saying that how is this not, and why wouldn't it be a winning strategy to run the Clinton campaign here? Clinton didn't win Western Pennsylvania. She didn't, but this is not she didn't win the blue. I'm not, I'm not talking about Clinton's strategy. This is a very unique idea that I came up by myself. <laughs> it has nothing to do with, with the Clinton campaign. It, it has to do with... Or is it just that she's a damaged brand because people, right. the right wing has been well, so mean in, in, you know, like attacking her as a person. Right. But I mean, your story is that you're a woman who overcame barriers. You think that men have been screwing things up and that women should be able to go into leadership positions. Well, I didn't before. say men are screwing it okay. up. Although I believe in diversity. Look, I, I, I believe in diversity. You, by the way, I think men have screwed it up. Uh, well, I'll, I'll let you say that, Paul. Okay. I, I believe in diversity. Look, I, 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 I say this even, you know, in the financial sector, when I started day one in 1995, there were probably 70 men and me, maybe one other woman, right? Uh, and then we hit the financial crisis. But I, guess that I was, were, I was trying know, to finish that point, though. The point was that in the positions she took, which were progressive positions, but they weren't the Sanders-Warren wing. They were more the positions that you see a majority of people vote for when they're asked their positions in the general electorate. Right. 
it's really not fair to say you're running more of a campaign to try to appeal to a broader general electorate along the lines of what gender barrier breaking Clinton campaign. I'm running a campaign on what I think are the best ideas for Connecticut. And and that is the bottom line. You know, I mean, I uh, but to your point, Paul, I do think that given our state is now purple. Our legislature is completely divided. You know, state yeah. senate is tied for the first time since the 1800s. Um, we, you know, and the and the assembly's five seats away. You know, from so we do. I am my one main focus is is moving Connecticut forward in the right direction. And in order to do that, it's all about math at every section. The math is a purple state. We need a leader who can reach across the aisle and take good ideas from both sides and sell what is a good idea for the future of Connecticut. And so to that point, I do think that um, it helps to have a leader, A, who's not tied to predisposed relationships um, and has you know any type of political baggage, um, but two, really uh, does the math, but also make sure that that math adds up to preserve our progressive values that that our state of Connecticut that we are so proud to have been able to build upon and that and that's another reason why I think it is so important to keep our state blue at this point there is way too much at risk um, with what's happening in in Donald Trump land um, and it's at our borders Um, and we have to find that last line of defense which I think you know really the governor has that last line of defense um, to make sure that um, that that they have that veto power to uh, you know, do away with those bills that would um, would turn the clock back in on our progressive values. And that's why I'm exploring. All right. And you're exploring Dita Bargava, candidate, exploratory candidate for governor in the Democratic Party in 2018. We're talking to her on Dateline New Haven at WNHH 103.5 FM. Mar- Megan Joe writes in on Facebook, I think what you're saying is that she's a moderate. And I guess maybe you can come back at me and say, I'm just going way too much with labels. It's not about Hillary Clinton, not Hillary Clinton. It's not about whether one position is left or right. It's about good answers. I mean, is this, is Joe, about, Morgan, Joe writes in at least economically. Is she right to say you're a moderate? Is there, is that a dirty word? No, I, mean, I, I haven't really thought about, I, I won't classify myself as a moderate because I'm a progressive. You know, mm-hmm. but what I am is a, a pro-business progressive who feels like in order to maintain um, our progressive values, that we need to create economic growth. Connecticut is growing at about 1.25% of the last few years, where the rest of the country is at 2.2. You know, it's almost half. And, and that, is, that is absolutely hurting our people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't have the, the, the wage growth. Um, we have an exodus out of our state. And, and to me, it's just unacceptable, given that we have so many great assets in our state. I really do think it's about the right vision and direction and, and focus on the right things. And to me, that involves creating jobs to create jobs, those well-paying jobs for middle class and working class families. We need to bring businesses to our state. And, that, and that's where my expertise really comes into play. All right. Uh, Dita, can I give you a, a lightning round here? Uh, yeah. So you ready for a couple oh, of positions? Yes. Oh, the lightning Just round. Just there. Ready? <laughs> So public financing, if you preserve the public financing system? The CEP? Yes. Clean elections program. Okay. Single payer health care? Yes. I, I think we need to move to, uh, oh, sorry. It's a yes or no, but yes, I think we no, need no, to no, move no. to health care for all. You're allowed to yes. explain okay. a position yes. that doesn't just go yes or no. Okay. Yes. Yes. We need to gradually move towards single payer health care. No, so Vermont tried it. They for it. Vermont, of all places, tried it and thought they couldn't afford it. 
Is that and what? that's why it needs to be gradual. You know what? What I I, I like what the uh, two congress or two congressmen have proposed, um, uh, Congressman Courtney and, and Congressman Larson, which is to bring the Medicaid uh, Medicare age down to age fifty. Because that was the, Hillary's position. Yeah, well, it's yeah. Uh, I mean, right? And it look single payer is also Bernie Sanders' position, and I think we should move towards it. Right? So yeah. this is not Hillary Bernie. I'm going to say that again. Um, it's about the best ideas and getting us so there. So gradually get us to single payer. That's right. Beginning by lowering the Medicare age. That's right. Medicare, and then make, make right. Medicare right. for all is okay. Right. And there are a lot of deals we don't have to get in today about how it's single payer right. work. I'm going to remind you that I come from a country where it was pretty much, <coughs> you know, single payer. And, and again, it's the reason why I'm here. You know, the health care and, and education, those are rights. All right. And so single payer is working in Canada. Yes, it's working. All right. The Sanctuary State uh, Secure Committee communities, would you continue the policy of not of the, of not cooperating with the federal government and detaining immigrants, undocumented immigrants? Absolutely. Or- and in fact, I think when, when the federal government comes in and, and dangles or threatens to take away funding, we should have a policy at the state where we would replace that funding to, to encourage our cities not to cooperate um, with um, enforcement that is breaking up innocent families. Okay. Um, tolls, would you institute tolls at our borders? We absolutely need tolls. So can I just expand on that, please? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is the second pillar of my, we we talked about the public-private uh, five-year loan forgiveness. The second pillar is, and what businesses and families have told me, is that we lack in infrastructure and transportation investment. So when you drive to Massachusetts, New York, Rhode Island, New Jersey, often you don't even know it because the technology is so great, you're paying a toll, Right. Connecticut is the third most traveled highways in the entire country. And about half of that is from out-of-state vehicles and trucks. They come through our roads because we're so geographically, ideally located. It's a pass-through. They don't pay a dime. They put wear and tear on our roads. They pollute our environment. This is just not right. We are at a competitive disadvantage because the other states are taking that money and putting it back into their infrastructure and transportation. And there was a transportation study that was done that we're leaving about a billion dollars of revenue per year on the table. So imagine what we can do for a billion dollars. So yes, we absolutely need tolls. I specifically want to toll the out-of-state vehicle, so I would like to see a progressive toll where we do not penalize folks within a certain mile radius, um, whatever that average radius that they travel to so get you to can, work. So you can make it so that you're exempt from tolls if you live right. in Connecticut? Within a certain mile radius. So not to impede you, uh, impede you from getting to work or general commerce. Does that mean if you live in Waterbury, you don't need a break to go on 95, but if you live in Mystic, you do? Right. I mean, so that's a study that needs that we need to, you know, I would that's conduct that idea. study. Yeah. I guess but the technology's really, get, really improved with uh, And technology's with really easy improved. Pass. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But we need to get the out-of-state trucks. And the other thing is I I'd, I'd like to have it so that that we uh, put a higher toll in for trucks when they're driving during the day versus at night to entice them to stay off the roads. You know, free up it our roads so a little bit. It's so interesting how this whole discussion about is one of those issues we talk about it in the 1970s, 80s frame of mind from the backups because they didn't have easy pass to the ability we now have to do that kind of congestion or right. daytime pri- pricing. This is technology. You know, at some at some point, um, you know, we we talk about, about gas and whether we should have a gas tax or increase it. At some point, it won't be a conversation because we will have all electric cars, you know. And to that point, when I talk about expanding our industry base, electric car battery manufacturing, you know, I mean, we should be at the forefront of this. There are countries out there 
who have said by 2020, 2027, they will be completely electric. This is the way of the future, right? And and I think we need to be one step ahead of that. Um, and, and so that, you know, renewable energy sources, electric car, battery manufacturing, organic farming, um, and then fintech, biotech, you know, software engineering. Those are all industries that, that I really want to see Connecticut um, uh, And the question in. is, how to, one criticism is government tries to pick, pick winners, such as we did with Alexion, rather than create the infrastructure where winners organically develop. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> marijuana legalization, recreational use of marijuana? You know, so it, it seems that, that um, it's the direction that people want to go in. So I, I would support it as long as it, it, we pass a, a, a bill that, that is socially responsible in the, in the way we do legalize. The one thing that I really want to focus in on as part of my expansion of industry base is organic hemp farming. You know, the, it, 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 there's, it's about a $700 million per year um, a market growing at about 20%, you know, um, fabric that's made out of hemp. It, first of all, it grows like a weed. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, it will, it will grow anywhere. So 20% uh, annual growth. Yes. Yes. Um, is what the studies show. Um, and, um, it, it's a great replacement for cotton, which is actually not great for the environment. Um, so I, I, I really want to hone in on that market. How would um, you do that? I'm sorry. How would you do that? Uh, so we actually have some laws in place for industrial hemp, um, making sure that we actually put those laws at work, you know, and, and encourage farmers through incentives to move into this industry. Um, Maybe uh, in the tobacco fields or no? Um, yeah, yeah, that could be a place. I mean, look, we have tons of land. There's a lot of land in, in eastern Connecticut that uh, is prime for uh, farming. So organic you would support hemp. legalized recreational marijuana, but you're more interested in promoting the organic hemp farming industry. I am interested in promoting the organic hemp. And if they want to fund at the end of the day and maybe get a buzz on, that's okay. <laughs> as long as it's done socially responsibly. All right. Um, so as we mentioned earlier, there's a proposal to raise for income either over 500000 a year or a million dollars a year, raising the income tax to 699 to 7.5%. Yes. No. I'm against increasing any type of income tax because it has worked negatively. We have had two income tax uh, raises in the last seven years, and we're in the worst budgetary crisis in modern history. It, it's, uh, we have to find other ways. I, don't, I want to preserve what our tax base is. We cannot afford to lose any more revenue, right? You're so, saying we'd have a net loss to raise. I'm sorry? You're saying we'd have a net loss in revenue to raise it. Yeah, we, we, we need to expand our industry base, right? And, and expand our tax base. We need to bring people into our state. People will come to our state if we create jobs. And, and jobs will come to our state if we empower businesses it, by those key investments, which is infrastructure, transportation, um, pipeline, you know, the public-private partnership. And the last is to really um, revitalize our urban cores because that's where young folks, you know, they're, they're settling in the urban cores now. Not just young folks, but elderly as well, you know, to provide those affordable housing, convenient living uh, situations for our young and for our elder, uh, elderly in our urban cores. When you look at a, a, a company like GE that went to Boston, um, they created no parking spots because the inner city transit is so great, right? So, and those are the type of infrastructure and transportation investments that we have to make. And I, wa I want to do a lot of that through public-private partnerships as well because we don't have the revenue. So let's leverage the private sector. Uh, it, often the projects are built um, much faster, efficiently, um, and, and so that that is certainly uh, on the table as well as as a way to fund these things. Carried interest loopholes. So there's that that um, loophole in the federal taxes that if you work for a hedge fund, you're going to pay half the income tax I pay because you're, how you declare the carried interest. Some have suggested a state tax that that uh, covers that gap. 
I'm just not in favor of increasing state taxes. Um, earned income tax credit, we we limited how many people qualify for it in the latest budget. Any thoughts on that? Would you restore it to where it was? Um, I have to think about that one. Okay. <laughs> and then, you know, the state legislature, I think everyone would agree, punted this year on responding to the um, the the landmark decision by Judge Thomas Malcaster, I always say his name wrong, saying that it was unconstitutional the way we fund our schools. He right. wasn't saying we have to spend more in schools. Right. He said we got to fund them differently. Right. Any thoughts on what should be done or how you would do it? So it's heartbreaking that we are failing our students in, in many We're actually sending schools. money from poor districts to rich districts in order to pass budgets. That's what got the judge nuts. Yeah. Well, look, I... We're sending I, from Bridgeport to Westport. I think we need to get that math absolutely right. But it, it's beyond just the money. I think it's also about how that money is being spent, right? There are fundamental problems in some of these schools. And I've spoken to teachers and educators from Waterbury, from Bridgeport. You know, there are things that we really need to focus in on. One is to make sure that we do have a diverse um, uh, set of teachers. You know, a lot of these teachers, what I've been told, they're there as a stepping stone to go work in a nice, nicer um, suburban school. So they're not really invested in the kids. They don't necessarily speak the same language, not literally, but they don't connect because they're not from that community um, or they're not the right nationality. We need diversity. And look, I'm a strong believer of diversity at every level. It makes us stronger, not just in people, but industry base as well, but uh, across the board. And so I think we need to be graduating a more, more diverse class of teachers that can speak. We also need social workers in these, in these schools. A lot of these kids, they're there as an escape from their home life because their home life is, is just um, very troubling. And, and social, <laughs> emotional, restorative justice, all that, that costs money. And when it you're does, sending but, money to yeah. Fairfield County, wealthy suburbs from right. poor cities, right. as we've been doing, it really can't fund that. So to me, education is single-handedly the best investment that we can make in our future. Mm-hmm. That is one place where we can't cut corners. But again, it's not just about spending money. It's about spending that money efficiently, right? Instead of having, you know, somebody told me in, in a school in Bridgeport where they work, you know, there are two police officers or guards that escort these kids to go from the from their classroom to the bathroom, right? To make sure that they're not getting up to no good in the bathrooms. Why don't we replace those guards or at least one of them with a social worker who can actually get to the root of the problem as to why they're doing what they're doing in the bathrooms, right? We have to be much more efficient. And this is not just about schools. You know, the two things that I want to do to help close that budget um, uh, gap, one is to bring, you know, expand our revenue base, you know, bring new revenue from, from outside of our borders to our state um, and keep our, 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 our people here. Um, the other is to make sure we find inefficiencies in government, right? And that our money is being, our tax dollars are being spent efficiently. There's transparency, there's predictability, and there's sustainability. Should we spend more of it on charter schools? Should we fund them the same level no. we do traditional? I, how, I, how do you feel about my, charters? I, I feel um, that, that it's fine for kids to have options, but I absolutely want to fix our public school system, which is where the, the majority of our children uh, attend. Um, it's abysmal what's happening in our public school systems that we are failing kids on, on one side and we're graduating great kids on, on the other side. It should not happen, right? To me, again, I'll go back to the fact that because I had, you know, I lived in, in a poor home, didn't have the resources, but I had access to that same quality of education that anybody did in, in my country. And and so now I'm a permanent taxpayer. You know, I've been, I've been an economic contributor. So it's not just the right thing to do. It's a smart thing to do. These kids should have the education so that they can be uh, constructive so citizens of society. So you child for charters? I, I don't agree with that. I, I, I think we need critical mass in our public school systems and we need to fix our public school system 
that is that is my first priority. Uh, the labor agreements we struck, you said you've been critical of those. What would you do differently? I, I wouldn't have locked it up um, because if we can't even figure out a two-year budget um, and once we figure it out, there's still holes, how are we going to? Nobody has a crystal ball as to where we're going to be. I want to get to the revenue side of the situation and, and expand our revenue base. Um, but so what I would think you do that different in the labor agreement? What would you do different from Governor Malloy? I would not have tied it up for that long. I mean, uh, was it 2027 or right. something? Right. Okay. I, I, it's too long. You know, um, do you think we should be moving more quickly to 401k plans? Do you think we should be paying less for health care? I think, I think so the new um, uh, agreements are more of a hybrid. Um, uh, so, I, look, I think, I think the math needs to add up. You know, I do, I do think that we are a country that don't, does not encourage savings, um, and um, we should encourage savings. Um, I think um, something along the lines of a hybrid is probably the right place to go, you know, um, and those those um, benefits should be in line with what sort of what you know some of the private sector institutions are are doing as well. Um, but this is this is not made in a black box. These are not notions that I would make in isolation. This is why we need good relationships, right? Everybody has my my husband's parents are retired school teachers, right? And um, I know that they rely on this income. You know, if they didn't have it, they'd be living with us. That's <laughs> not necessarily the right solution. I love my in-laws, but um, not everybody has that option either, right? So it's not their fault, you know, that the math didn't add up and that, that it was underfunded. It's not our fault either, right? But we all have stake into the future of Canada. The last thing I would want to see is that we run out of the the revenue to actually... Give, it. So you think the Rhode Island governor is your model for how to deal with this? I, I think I think she's done some. She's made some tough decisions, but again, she did not make them in isolation. They do have different laws in Rhode Island. You know, they have um, statutory laws versus contract laws, so it made it easier for her to pass. But she passed that, and she was elected as governor, right? So it it, it may have not been the the nicest thing, but but the math has to add up. And by the way, she came from you know private equity, um, uh, the business sector as well, and she, and she's doing a good job with Rhode Island. You know, and I, I compare Connecticut to Rhode Island because it's a smaller state, but they've really turned their state around, and that, and, that, and I find that promising when I look at Connecticut that we can also do the same thing. And by the way, so she, would she be a model for you? She is a model for me. Yes, absolutely. You know, she's um, she focused in. She's also a progressive, but she focused in on the business community, and she has expanded that. That t- in fact, when GE decided to leave um, Connecticut. She was in their offices, wanted the whole thing to come to Rhode Island the entire, but she got a piece of the digital, which I think she estimates, you know, a thousand jobs over the next five to 10 years. Um, uh, So she's very good at attracting businesses and building those partnerships, you know, bringing GE, bringing the heads of the university into her offices and saying, let's figure this out. What can we do to make this work? Right. And we need more of that. All right. What do you do for fun? play the drums <laughs> don't Still? actually play the drums anymore no, no I, I should i should put it back um you know i, I have two should. i have two kids fun have isn't two should <laughs> yes i have a lot of fun with my kids i have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old and they keep me on my toes and and we try and find even though our lives are crazy right now um time to to play monopoly you know play, play games um uh, so that's that's kind of you know that's that's my life. When my daughters were young, I tried to get them to play Class Struggle, which is the commie version of Monopoly, but it was such a boring game that we went over to Monopoly. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> I think we play Catopoly. I don't know. We have we have a couple of Cat-opoly? different versions. Is yeah. a cat version? There was a cat version. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I've had it for a long time, uh, but now there's Star Warsopoly. So we actually we haven't seen the Star Wars series yet with my kids. That's next on our plate. <laughs> then we'll get the Star Wars version. Well, Dita Bargava, it has been really a 
wonderful chance to meet you. I appreciate it, Paul. Call me back anytime. This is great. You're always welcome. And if you are going to go in the full plunge, we hope to have you back. I'll be back. Thank you. on the trail. (laughs) Thanks so much. thanks to folks who wrote in on Facebook. A special thanks to Yenleven Hospital for providing supports for today's program. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience, performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free. I want to know when they're playing next. I'm coming. (laughs) For the group CD, A Plea for Peace. Now we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book your flight with us all day and all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. (laughs) 